welcome to the No Relation NFL Podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson. Matt, how are you doing today? I am great, man. How are you? Doing all right, doing all right. Now, it, I know we talk about loving the, the offseason, but I think it's time that we re, we're ready for the regular se- uh, football season. The training camp has started, and we're going to talk about stuff that's happening now beginning today, and I think we're both ready for that. What do you say? Uh, no doubt. Uh, I mean, I was on vacation last week. I take that week every year. It's a family camp that we go to. It's the middle of nowhere, hardly any cell. And then I get back, and boom, it's like, you know, that's like the turning point in my life. Yeah, it is here. So let's talk about things that are going on. And a few weeks ago, it was actually before the June mini camp, kind of news came out that, hey, uh, the Chargers are saying Mike Williams has a bit of a disc issue in his back, but he's going to be okay. And we talked about it, and we're like, ah. I know they're saying it's not a big deal, but it's the Chargers, and you, you got to worry about it. And now he's out for a training camp, and, and Anthony Lynn, the new head coach, admitted to the LA Times that, yeah, maybe he could be out for the whole year. I mean, this, this team is cursed, isn't it? It sure seems that way. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for Williams, of course. I feel bad for Chargers, you know, now uh, L.A. fans, you know. and But the guy that uh, it might be cursed is Phillip Rivers. You know, I mean, I, I felt like that they made this choice not because they were super light at wide receiver or they were concerned about Keenan Allen. I just thought that, Rivers has endured so many wide receiver and offensive line injuries these last two or three years. I thought the Chargers were just like, screw it. We're just not going to let that happen to Phillip again. We're going to take a guy early. Then we're going to follow it up with two offensive linemen. We'll actually have depth at these positions. We can withstand some injuries. And before you know it, it's just like last year. You know, remember this this time last year, C.B. Johnson was out for the year. I mean, yeah, that's an easy one to forget. Then Keenan Allen right after that. It's just like, yeah, they might be cursed. Yeah, I mean, year after year, you know, I covered them in AFC West for ESPN, so I, I really had a good feel for this over the last, like, eight years. And every year it seems like they get injured more, and every year it seems like they lose more close games. And I talked about it with Rivers' last training camp, and he's like, God, I sure hope this thing changes. And last year may have been worse on both accounts. And now, you know, they get a number seven overall pick. And I know people are saying, well, you know what, they're okay at receiver and they can maybe survive this. Well, that's not the point. They're, they're, they're missing the value of a number seven overall pick. And, and, and this is a team that, you know, I know you're high on and, and I, I think has a lot of ability, but – God, it just seems like the, the hits keep coming for those Chargers. And I tell you what, another team that the hits really are coming hard this year is the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, one one bad news after another with this team, huh? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, just going back to the Chargers for a minute, you know, it wasn't like – like, remember when the Bengals took Abouye a couple years ago? They knew he was injured when they drafted him. He probably is going to sit a year. You know, there's always those type of guys in the draft. But Williams, I mean, he was a clean prospect. You know, it wasn't like, boy, this is a high-risk guy. And I know he got hurt, you know, hitting into the goalpost a couple years ago. But when they drafted him, I'm sure he had medical clearance. And then this happens. You know, it's like, oh, man. 
you know, that could have been, like you said, I mean, that could have been Malik Hooker or, you know, somebody else that would have helped you somewhere, you know, in a different area. And you're right about the Ravens. You know, there's been some flirting now with Kaepernick. You know, that's the newest news, I guess. Um, Dixon is out for the year, who I was really high on. Tight end injuries. Um, you know, who's going to be the receivers? There was enough questions around their skill position players to begin with. I thought Flacco had a very bad year returning from injury. I think their offensive line has taken a couple of hits, too. You know, you lose Wagner, you trade Zutaw. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm concerned about the Ravens' offense. You know, I do think their defense will be one of the best in the league, and all Harbaugh's special teams are always near the top of the league, too. Right. Right, but the offense, I mean, it, it, it hasn't been a very dynamic offense the last few years, and, and all these hits, and it's just crazy. And it seems like when these hits start coming early and they keep coming, they don't seem to stop, you know, and it's just, and it's almost like a losing streak, you know. You, you just get used to it and you just expect the next one to come. So the, the Ravens are a team that, you know, I think every year the Ravens have playoff hopes because of all the good things that you just mentioned and, and, and leadership and, you know, and they just seem to do things the, the right way. But I don't know. This is tough. And, you know, let's, before we leave the Ravens, let's talk a little bit about Kaepernick. Um, it, it, it seems like, you know, that may be going that way where he ends up a Raven. Your thoughts on the football fit? Yeah, it's funny because I, I do another podcast, Locked on NFL, and I, I, I dedicated one yesterday to my take on Kaepernick. And I've changed my stance on him, to be very honest with you. I mean, I, I've watched some more tape lately. I've done some more research on the guy. And I kind of think it's a crime that he's not in the league. You know, I mean, if you're ranking the quarterbacks in the NFL right now, he's definitely in the top 40. I mean, he might be in the top 25. He's better than what almost everyone in the league is playing with in the, you know, as their number two. I think he's a good fit almost anywhere. And I actually went through every team in the league. Should they be interested? Should they not? And Baltimore absolutely should. You know, I mean, Flacco is extremely expensive. He's the biggest cap hit of any quarterback or anyone in the league this year. Didn't play well last year. And I'm not saying Kaepernick would replace him. But what if he signed Kaepernick to a two-year deal? Joe has a terrible year. The team's in the dumps. You put Kaepernick in in week 12. He plays well. You cut Flacco in the offseason and move on from the contract. And then you have Kaepernick and the draft pick a year from now. Or You know what I mean? And I do think the offense would work. And, you know, uh, Fangio's there now, the offensive coordinator, to try to – one thing that's crazy about that offense is they don't run the ball very much. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, they were the highest percentage in the league – of passing plays. I mean, that's a bad recipe for that team. That team needs to run the ball and play defense. So they brought in yet another coordinator with his you know, ties from Buffalo and San Francisco, and you would think they'd try to establish a running game. And Kaepernick would certainly help that if, you know, if Flacco were to go down or possibly get benched. And then the other San Francisco tie that I think might be something we talk about soon is now that Dixon's out, do they give the Niners a call about Carlos Hyde maybe? Interesting. Yeah, because he seems like a guy that the Poirinaires are just kind of waiting to walk away from. A free agent next year, why not get something while you can for a team that, you know, needs every roster-building chip it can get, right? Sure. You know, I mean, uh, they drafted Joe Williams, who they supposedly love, and um, 
I would be shocked if San Francisco brought Hyde back after the year. So if you can get a pick now and see what Williams has, and why not? Yeah. Oh. Um, let's go to another injury quarterback, and I don't, I don't know if we're talking about this prematurely or not, but he's out right now, so it's fair. Um, Andrew Luck, uh, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I know that they, they expect to be back soon, but, you know, it's training camp, and a- Andrew Luck's not practicing. That, that's not ideal. No, absolutely. And, I mean, every team is dependent on a franchise quarterback, which we all agree Luck is. Um, but, man, if they don't have Luck, I mean, they might be 1-15. <laughs> I mean, you talk about potential playoff team in a bad division versus a potential first overall pick type of team. That, that's the kind of injury that could do it for you. It's kind of like Manning's year that he missed, and they end up taking luck whenever they were 1-15 or whatever. Um, it's always a weird organization, starting with ownership, you know, that who knows what you can believe and what comes out of there and how it's relayed to the press. But that's not a good sign. And I've said this a lot about luck lately, that I think he rightfully was crowned an elite prospect coming out of Stanford. You know, we all loved them. Anyone in the scouting community would have taken him first overall in just about any year. Um, and then I thought he was kind of an overrated player for a few years that, man, you know, they were immediately putting him on the Roethlisberger breeze tier. And he didn't belong there yet. I mean, he was a young guy. And last year I thought he clearly had his best year as a pro. And now I think he's underrated. <laughs> he had very little around him, and he's, being a, and he's been a total stud this past year, you know, before injuries, and I think that people don't realize that he is on that Roethlisberger breeze tier now. Yeah. If you look at what he did last year, he had a massive year, and I think we talked about it during the season. I don't think he got enough credit for it. Right, right. And usually it's the opposite. Usually he gets a little too much credit. Right. Let's stay in the same division. Rookie quarterback, Deshaun Watson, all early reports are very positive. Bill O'Brien said today, and the Texans were very proud to tweet this out, that he's further along at this point than any other rookie I've been around. And I had to be a smart ass and say, well, that's terrific, but the really the only two rookies of note that you've been around are Ryan Mallett and Tom Savage. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you know, what does that mean about Watson? But in the grand scheme, it sure looks like they're heading towards starting this guy right away, doesn't it? Yeah, and I don't think that comes as any shock. You know, that if you would have asked me the day after they drafted him who's going to be the Texans' opening day starter, I would have said Watson. You know, I mean, it's just kind of how the league works. You're a contending team. You give up next year's first. Unless it's a Chiefs-like situation where there's a solid starter in place, you know, he's going to win every tie. <laughs> I mean, without a doubt. And that's fine. And by all accounts, he's strong mentally, strong from a character perspective. We've seen how he plays big in big games. But I don't think he has a great arm, and I think he makes a lot of mistakes. And you wouldn't see those things. Well, I mean, you would. But, I mean, it wouldn't be exposed in a game against an opposing defense yet. Um, More or less, though, my take on the positive things coming out of that situation are that's fine. I would be 
I would react more if there was negative things coming out. You know, if there was negative news coming out, kind of like Goff a year ago, I'd be like, hmm, that's worrisome. When you hear positive things, like, yeah, that's what they should say. Right. Yeah, 100% agree there. Um, want to talk about a little, last week, a little news. We didn't have a show. Um, John Elway gets re-signed, and then bring back Gary Kubiak do some scouting. Um, the Broncos, I mean, you, John Elway was not going anywhere, right? I mean, does this guy, he's really on the upper echelon of, of, of what he does, isn't he? Um, I think so, yes. I mean, I, I think Denver has done a very good job team building these past few years. I'm not ready to say he's one of the best GMs in the league, though. I mean, the the body of work isn't isn't all that extensive. You know, I, if I felt a lot better about Paxton Lynch, you know, I might say something like that. I mean, that's a crucial decision at this point. Um, are they better than they were a year ago? I mean, I don't know if they had a tremendous off season. I do think he's done a very very good job. But I think when you're a Hall of Fame quarterback in your hometown and already a legend, you might get the benefit of the doubt or two, too. Yeah, but he's he's been there six years and he won five division titles and been to the Super Bowl True. twice and won it once. I, I, I think he's in the top five. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can't argue that. I mean, my immediate reaction was, Let's not give the Hall of Famer too much credit for not being a quarterback, but he built a heck of a defense. You know, he made the Manning move, you know, which is easy to forget now. You know, that it wasn't a no-brainer that Peyton Manning was going to return back to MVP form. You know, and Elway took a chance on him, not that he didn't have other suitors, but um, and that was crucial, obviously, to building a great offense, and then they won the Super Bowl with defense. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess so. Uh, I mean, some of these guys, the Aussie Newsoms of the world and people like that, I would probably put a, ahead of them. But over the last couple of years, always been better. Yeah. Well, let's stick with Rob with a little bit. Booker gets hurt. hurt. Um, that's definitely a, a real, I think, I mean, he may be back for week one, week two, but he's a guy that the Broncos are really going to have to rely on. And they bring in Stephen Ridley. Do you see Stephen Ridley could could help this offense, or is it just uh, you know a total stop stopgap move for August and September? Yeah, uh, I mean, I liked him in his prime, but that seems like so long ago now, doesn't it? I mean, he's had so many stops where he hasn't been successful since he left the Patriots. I know he's a name brand guy, but I would not hold on any hope to that. But I mean, I, I'm excited. To, I'll, I'll watch him in the first preseason game and see what he looks like. So, Matt, do you Cardinal Jones fit in Los Angeles with the Chargers? How do you think it affects the Bills? Yeah, I, I thought it was more interesting from a Bills perspective than a Chargers perspective. You know, for San Diego. He's a big, talented, downfield passer. You know, why not bring him in and let him learn from one of the best who's done it for a long time? But with Buffalo, you know, they, it's a new regime. We don't exactly know what they want from the quarterback position, but the only guy that, that can kind of give us that clue is, is Peterman, who they drafted late. But Peterman's very different than Cardell Jones, you know, and Cardell Jones and Peterman are very different than Tyrod Taylor, you know, that – 
Uh, do they really want a runaround type guy? Do they want a big raw passer in Jones, or do they want the cerebral, get it out quick game manager type in Peterson? And I'm wondering, big picture, and Taylor's got an odd contract situation too. Um, are they going to find somebody more like Peterson going forward, as opposed to what they've had, before, you know, for the prior regime? But, yeah. It seems like that was kind of the choice, Peterman, over uh, Cardell Jones at this point. So, very interesting. I want to stick with San Diego, excuse me, Los Angeles for a little bit here. Yesterday, Melvin Ingram said, somebody asked him about, hey, do you think you and Joey Boza could be amongst the best pass duos in the league? And he says, I don't, we don't think that we're among the best. We think we are the very best, period. And I know people don't like when when players say that type of stuff. But I was thinking about it, and he may have a point. What do you think? Yeah, he very well might. And I was asked, you know, it was over the offseason, it was kind of a downtime, to rank the pass-rushing duos in that division, which are pretty awesome. You know, I mean, I didn't include Alden Smith in the mix, so the Raiders were last, and Khalil Mack's a stud. Um, Shane Ray just got hurt, and I just I recently wrote an article about, you know, that that's a big deal, and I thought he was ready to be a breakout player. Von Miller on the offensive side is obviously about as good as you're going to get. Um, Kansas City is loaded, too, but, you know, he has a little question with what is Houston right now at this stage of his career in terms of injuries and things. And I think San Diego, or <laughs> Los Angeles, might be the best in the league. I mean, I'm having a hard time off the top of my head coming off up with a better duo. You know, the Giants are good, but yeah. I think that same about Ray. But Ray can, um, you know, he can come back. I, I think Tom Ali is a little long in the tooth, so that Houston Ali pairing and maybe D Ford, maybe um, you know, certainly it's a very interesting division. Khalil Mack, you know. This may be ridiculous, but in the year, Joey Bosa may be a better pass rusher than Khalil Mack. Not a better football player, but a better pass rusher. Because if you really study Khalil Mack's game, he's very his, his, his sacks comes in bunches. And Joey Bosa, it, it seemed like just very, I mean, what, he had 10 and 12 games. Uh, but Khalil Mack, his deal is that he's just a fantastic football player great against the run, and that's why he's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame. But my point is, Boza and Mack are going to be really close as pass rushers, and I think Ingram is leaps and bounds better than Bruce Irvin, uh, Oakland's number two pass rusher. So, yeah, I mean, he's the best in the AFC West, and that might make you in the rest of the league. Yeah, and I really do think Bosa this time next year will be recognized as a top 10 for sure, maybe top five defensive player in the whole league. You know, I, I really do think he's going to be close to the Khalil Max and Vaughn Millers of the world. I really think he's that good. And Ingram is fantastic. I mean, if Ingram's your number two pass rusher, he's, you know, he's deserving of every penny, and he's a very wealthy man. You know, so I, I think he's uh, – I, I really do think that's the best pairing. Like I said, the Giants are okay, and but no, you know, I'll take, I'll take the Chargers. Yeah. This may be a little early talk, but there's a guy, there's a rookie that I'm worried about that may. Oh, just overall practice. He's a guy. Some people 
who were drafted because of that speed. I'm so worried about where this is starting for him. There in Cincinnati. I'm sorry, Bill. You kind of cracked up. You kind of broke up there. I didn't hear the question very well. I was just on Ross, and, and you know he's injured, and you know this is a guy that needs need reps because he's considered more of a speed guy than a great route guy. So this is a real lost time for him in Cincinnati. To, speaking about the number nine overall pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I mixed feelings on that one too. I mean, I remember Daniel Jeremiah saying when he was kind of giving a draft, you know, prospect, you know, report on, on Ross. He said. There's two two things you need to know about this guy, fast and fragile, <laughs> you know. And he's a little dude, and this game is rough on little dudes. However, that even if his rookie year is just him running go route after go route after go route when he's out there, that still has value. You know what I mean? I mean, it would be great if you could get a lot more reps and quote on the same page and develop as a route runner and all those things you want for your first-round pick. But he has such a unique skill that isn't going away. You know, as long as he's fast, he's going to have a purpose. Yeah, the field, too. You know, I, I always say that if I was running a team, and it probably wouldn't be a very good team if I was running a team, but I would have a couple rules, and that's no guys who get injured all the time in college and no – constant bad character guys because those guys never change your way. So, injured guys worry me. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, I think that's... uh, I'm not sure that I believe in the term injury prone. You know, that there's some guys that are just have bad luck and it's obviously a rough game and people get hurt. But, you know, you can't ignore recurring situations and especially if you're as small as somebody like Ross, you know, his body might not be cut out for it. Right. I thought it was a really good value for them in the second round and a really good fit for the Seahawks. Um, injured in an ATV accident, got concussions, got facial injuries. Um, Seahawks kind of sent out an ominous t- uh, statement about it on Sunday, and then, you know, he, he's for, reportedly is going to report this week. But, I mean, that's not a great first step for a guy who – really could help this good defense, right? Yeah, and in a way, he kind of reminds me of them DJ coming out last year went to you know, the rival Cardinals. Tons of ability, some effort issues, seems like he needs a fire lit under him, and I thought Seattle was a perfect place for him to go. You know, that they, they welcome all the defensive linemen they can get their hands on of all shapes and sizes, and they don't really have the 6'5", 290, long athlete, D-tackle, big defensive end guy, and they'll take as many of them as they can get. You know that. So I thought that was a great place for him because he doesn't have to play a million snaps right off the bat either. He could you know, stay fresh and maybe he hustles a little bit more because when he's on, he's a real difference maker. And uh, this is ominous. Uh, we, I don't think we've heard a whole lot since you know the report, um, how serious is it, those type of things. At least I haven't. Um, but he was somebody that I think could have been, or still can, you know, can certainly help that defense immediately. Give a little shot at youth and athleticism. Yeah. Sure. Um, so interesting news coming out of Oakland where, you know, there hasn't been a lot of negative news out of 
Raiders for the last couple of years, and then the day they report to training camp, Donald Penn drops on the team. I'm not coming. I'm underpaid. You guys need to bolster my contract. And the Raiders were pretty shocked and not happy about it. And it's really interesting because I think both sides have some leverage. Donald Penn's leverage is you just paid your quarterback $125 million, and I'm his blindside protector, and this team can win a Super Bowl. And the team's leverage is, well, Donald, you're 34. We just signed your two-year contract. We drafted David Sharp from Florida to take your place next year. We don't want to pay you any money right now for 2018, and you're getting paid $5.8 million. So, I mean, what's your thoughts on this thing? Well, you mentioned the car signing, but how about the Gabe Jackson signing? <laughs> you know, I mean, that right. just happened. And yeah, that probably ago, ticked him just... off, too. I know people are saying, well, he's probably mad about the being the 17th highest-paid left tackle. I think he's ticked off being the fourth-highest-paid offensive lineman in Oakland. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was getting at is no team in the league has invested more dollars in their offensive line than the Raiders. And all of a sudden he looks around that room and says, I'm at the most important position. I'm the oldest guy here. I'm still really good at what I'm doing. You know, why is Osemele, Hudson, and Jackson making a lot more than me? And more power to them, they're my buddies, but, you know, bump me up too. And he has a point. Um, but is he going to get it? I would think not. I mean, you're close to that situation than I am. He's going to play the way. We know that. He's an older dude. He doesn't need camp. And even if he can, you know, he would never admit this, but if he could stay home for the next two or three weeks, he's probably not crying about that. No. Not at all. And I think... I think a likely, I don't know if likely is the word, but realistic as far as making sense is maybe they bump him up a couple million, maybe they give him a Pro Bowl incentive, an All-Pro incentive, maybe a Super Bowl incentive. Um, They have $15 million in cap room right now, and, and, you know, that's pretty much surplus because everything else, you know, everything is is spent. They may have to sign a guy here, a guy there, but they're not going to sign $15 million. So they can afford it a little bit, but... You know, as you know, being in a, on a team before, teams do not want players to dictate what they do for the next guy. They don't want Donald Penn's teammates to say, oh, well, it worked for him, so I'm going to pull this next year. So they're going to have to be very careful about how they, if they do reward him, how they reward him. Yeah, good point. I mean, if they do that, then is Crabtree going to hold out? You know, like, there's always the next guy in line. that You, you, you create that domino effect, and... Sure, maybe you could throw him a bone because he is still a very good player. They have Super Bowl aspirations. But you're right. I mean, are we going to do this every year? I mean, who's the next guy that's going to complain about his contract? Or pretty soon we're not going to have any cap room at all. Right. Yep. I am making some big positive headlines in San Francisco is Ruben Foster. And he's a guy that a lot of teams are afraid. You know, people say he could be a top-five talent. And teams stayed away from him because of the neck injury. Um, and he lasted all the way to 31. The 49ers drafted up to get him. He was cleared to practice right away. And he's intercepting the ball every day. And he's, you know, he's really making a positive impact for the 49ers. Um, has the potential to be a terrific deal for the 49ers, right? No doubt. Uh, and no doubt about it. I mean, I loved his tape. I mean, I thought he was a Luke Keekley like prospect. You know, like immediately step in, be one of the best linebackers in the league lead the defense, be the face of the defense, hopefully for many, many years to come. But you and I don't have privy to 
you know, there were some off-the-field concerns, and he blew up at the combine. But I think the thing that people were most concerned about were the injuries, and we don't have that information. Um, obviously, they were at play. You know, I mean, guys like uh, Davis goes to Detroit, even though he's a nice player. I mean, Foster's the better player. You got, you can't tell me that the Lions, you know, were comfortable with the medical with Foster, or they would have taken him. You know, and he would have definitely gone much earlier. So, you know, even after they picked him, there was talk of he might miss his whole year while he's, while he's healing. And you still thought, okay, San Francisco's not going to win anything anyways. You know, he redshirt him for a year, pick up his option, you still get four good years out of him. So this is all gravy in my opinion. And the player, to me, has no questions. Yeah, I think, I mean, if we see the 49ers get back to the playoffs in three years, that that pick may be something that we point to, you know. That this really could be something because I really like the way they're they're finally they're finally able to rebuild. I mean, it was a, the whole the whole Carbaugh departure was a disaster, and then the hirings of, of Kamasulo and Kelly didn't work at all. I think they have a legitimate, possible, really good head coach in in Shanahan. Lynch is a rookie GM, but he's not, I think his first six months on the job has shown that he's not going to do anything stupid and he's going to think things out. I think the Roy Niners, you know, it's going to take a while because this roster is pretty barren, but you hit on a Reuben Foster and things can, that can expedite the rebuilding process. Yeah, I mean, if he's their Bobby Wagner for the foreseeable future, I mean, you're set, or you're Luke Keekly or a guy like that. Um, I look at the Niners, and I agree with everything said. You know that it's almost like they 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 blew apart the house, and now they're pouring a foundation. You know, and and they're doing it right, and they're starting from scratch. Not to the degree Cleveland did, but um, I do think the GM and coach are excellent, and the the, the contract you know length is great. They actually might stick with them. It's going to take a lot of time, but if that foundation's poured properly, you at least can start building, you know, and I do think that's what they're going to do. Um, it was very clear on the offensive side of the ball, there's certain things that Shanahan wants, you know, including the fullback, and they go and they give check big money. I mean, people kind of rolled their eyes at that, but he uses a fullback a lot. And even like Garcon, I mean, in that Shanahan-Kubiak offense, those guys always have a Julio Jones, an Andre Johnson, a Brandon Marshall well, they couldn't get one of those guys immediately, so Garcon's at least going to play that role, you know, that until they can get their stud receiver. And maybe that's their first-round pick next year. Who knows? But there is a plan in place, and it's going to take time, but uh, Foster would sure help. You know, I've changed the subject a little bit, but the great coaches, the upper-level coaches are, are, are really system coaches, Belichick, McDaniel on offense, even you know Kyle's dad, Mike, and now Kyle. There's there's system guys, and they bring in their own guys, and they may not be the best players. I think Belichick's defense is a perfect example. Guys that have failed elsewhere, um, but they have ability, and they get the best out of them. And I see Kyle Shanahan kind of going over that, using that same formula that the you know the great system coaches do. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to that, but I do agree with you. I mean, I think he knows exactly what he wants from each position, and it's going to take time to find them. And even Hoyer. I mean, Hoyer 
is a Matt Ryan style of quarterback. I mean, he's the Michelob Ultra version, but, you know, he's that style of quarterback. Right. Right. I want to wrap today's show up with a little Hall of Fame talk. I know, you know, the induction is on Saturday. I don't want to talk about every guy, but just do you mind just talking about a couple guys that from this class that stand out to you that not necessarily looking forward to seeing their, their speech per se, but just looking forward to them to becoming Hall of Famers. Yeah, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up, and because I, I mentioned, and people on the show know, my son, my father, and I went to the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago, and and really when you're there, you know, you just realize the greatness of everybody enshrined. You know that, you know, I, I sit here in my living room and I say, boy, this guy doesn't belong, or this guy should go. You know, I mean. It's kind of a brash thing to say when you're talking about the best players that have ever done this. But it's also my job, and so, you know, that's what people want to hear. Um, I also wrote four kind of profiles for a different site that I write for about the big-name guys, you know, Tomlinson, Davis, um, Taylor, and Warner. Just kind of my memories, uh, profiles of those guys, and and they were really really well-received. But the thing that kind of shook the boat the most was – I don't think Terrell Davis is a Hall of Fame player. You know, and the more research I did on him, he really only had three good years. I mean, he had two great years, and he had a good rookie year. And, you know, uh, that's not enough for me. I mean, and he was phenomenal in the playoffs. I mean, he had a, he was a very, you know, he was a top player, but it was a really short amount of time, shorter than I even remember. Yeah, but it was. And, and, and I, I don't know how I feel about it because I, I see both sides and I probably lean towards yes, and I and I understand why it took so long. But, I mean, he was a dominant player. And if you watch that first Super Bowl where they won, I mean, there was so much drama and he gets the migraines and he comes back and he's blind. And, you know, I mean, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal player during his time. He gets hurt on a fluky play, and, and and that's just it. That's the end of him. Um, yeah. But, but you know, I mean, you know, the running back, and I'm not. I don't want to point. In, I, I feel uncomfortable saying this, but a guy like Curtis Martin to me, in my memory bank, he had a long career. But did he have a great career? Is he a Hall of Famer? I, I think Terrell Davis had a better, a more memorable, more special career than Curtis Martin. See, it's funny you brought him up because that was going to be the next thing I was going to say is two recent running backs, in my you know, opinion, that are borderline Hall of Famers that are in. So, you know, you look at all the running backs in the Hall of Fame, two dudes that I think are kind of the bottom of that list are Martin and Bettis. And I was, I was about to say Bettis, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I was, you know, like to me Tomlinson's easy. Tomlinson's better than all those guys. You know, Tomlinson's closer to – O.J. Simpson, um, where, you know, I was about to say the opposite. Like, I would much rather, if you said I could give him my first-round pick for Martin's career or Bettis' career or Davis's career, Davis would, would certainly be my last pick, you know. And his highs were higher than those two, but it was just such a short amount of time. I mean, I, I have a problem with him going, to be honest with you, not to mention – why isn't Terrell Owens in? I mean, I know he's a jerk, but come on. I mean, that guy's the definition of a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Right, right. What's your thoughts on Kurt Warner? 
borderline. I, I really didn't feel strongly one way or another. And usually when those kind of feelings come up for a Hall of Famer, I think you should probably be out. But what I respect maybe the most about Warner, and the thing everyone respects the most is, you know, he was bagging groceries. We know that whole story. He needed Trent Green's, you know, injury to be even a name that any of us learned. But I think what's really interesting about him is he had two great careers. You know, he had two short great careers. You know, his time with the Rams, which everyone remembers, of course, and then you know, late in his career, when everyone thought he was done and they're drafting Matt Leiner, he comes back to life and is a, one of the best quarterbacks in the league for another, what, three or four years with Arizona. Yeah, did he win an MVP award with the, with the Cardinals? I, I, I should know so. this, but I think he did. Yeah, I mean, you forget about that stint when he was with the Giants and that's when they were drafting Eli Manning and, you know, his career looked over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had very interesting career, and I'm a, you know, again, it's a great story. There's great stories along the Hall of Fame. I don't know, maybe it's part of it, but you know, I mean, he won a lot of games. He he made a lot of plays. He won a lot of awards, and I'm okay with Kurt Warner being a Hall of Famer. His his route was just a little different, and you know, uh, that's fine. That's that's his story. That's the way he got to his greatness. But he did have his NFL greatness. No doubt. And one little thing against him was in those two stints, he played with some pretty good players. You know, Orlando Pace, Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, and then Bolden and Larry. I mean, so his supporting cast may have helped him a little bit more than the average quarterback. Right. No, it's interesting. If, if you had to ask me who's the, who's the face of this class, I would probably say it's Tomlinson. Yeah. Just, yeah. I think he's probably the best player. I know he didn't win the Super Bowl, and, you know. I, I thought he was know, the easiest choice of all the nominees. San Diego's somewhat obscure, but I, I think he's the I think he's the face. I think he's the lead of this story. Yeah, I mean, I totally yeah. agree. I, thought, I, I think he's the easiest pick for sure of the group, that he gets in first ballot every time. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter who he's going against. Uh, yeah, I very much agree. You know, he was ahead of his time as a receiver. Totally had the whole thing going for him. Well, great. Well, next week we'll have more training camp talk, more probably, unfortunately, injuries talk about, rookies coming up, quarterback shuffling. Should be fun. Matt, thanks for being with us, everybody. This is No Relation NFL Podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson. We'll talk to you next week. Matt, have a great week. You too, brother. We'll see you.